This podcast contains potentially adult language, adult themes, definitely drinking, and possibly sexual context. Listener discretion is advised. I just drank a bunch yeah, of you did. <laughs> I remember it correctly. What? Okay. Yay. Okay. So let's talk about what we're drinking today and which I've already been doing. I am drinking blue moon, but I am super bougie today and I put oranges in it. Like boss. Ooh. Vanessa, did I one up you? I'm very basic today. I am drinking some spring water because I was running outside this morning with my two-year-old nephew and he ran me ragged in the sun, so I need to hydrate. <laughs> oh, as, as little ones will do. What are you drinking? So yes. So I am drinking, um, it's actually a local Central Florida beer called Matter Days um, by Deviant Wolf. Um, so it's a strawberry lemonade Berliner. So I like really sour beers, that thing that like does that thing in the back of your ear when you oh, take yeah. a sip? That's like my favorite kind of beer. So cheers. Cheers. I love a porter. I love like an oatmeal or chocolate stout kind of mm. porter. Like that's my, like almost like you're drinking oatmeal kind of beer. Like oh. those are my, that's not what this is at all. No, but I, <laughs> no. I, I, I like fruit juice that gets you drunk. That's my Ooh. favorite. Yes. I like all of it. I like can be dangerous and cider beer. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a brewery in Ybor City that makes a beer. I don't know if they still have it that tastes like oatmeal cookies. I'm mm. like, oh, that's dangerous. <laughs> that would be my downfall. Anything that doesn't taste like alcohol, like yeah. part of the, I love Honey Jack whiskey. I've talked about this before. It's one of my favorites. <laughs> I have to be very careful because I don't taste the whiskey and I can drink that on the rocks and I'm like I'm good and then all of a sudden I can't stand up and I'm like I did not make good life choices right now. <laughs> yeah I almost um was gonna do because my new like fall winter drink has been salted caramel vodka with apple cider it's real good yeah but I my bottle like two nights ago and I didn't get a chance to run back out so I was like oh perfect I'm gonna do some local beers <laughs> you know, that is awesome I found that since I started doing this podcast people have defaulted to giving me alcohol on all holidays birthdays they like just show up so I've I've yeah anyway I'm sure that's very warm for the COVID <laughs> okay so let's talk about you as a writer so for anybody out there who doesn't know who you are which is dumb what do you write? So I do kind of a little bit of everything. So chances are, if you like something, I probably have something. Um, so I've got um, a young adult um, trilogy that's out um, that's called Four Corners. And so that's like young adult fantasy. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's Four Corners, Two Worlds, and One Earth. So that whole series is out and complete. Um, I also write um, short stories in a couple different anthologies, um, sci-fi speculative fiction. Um, I do some historical, um, some horror, some comedy horror, um, thrillers, like that kind of stuff. Um, 
And then I have an upcoming release that is also young adult, um, standalone contemporary that comes out in March. So awesome. Gets awesome. Out a bit of everything. <laughs> yeah, we, have, we have actually timed this delightful podcast to hit when your release hits. So it's part oh, of the perfect. promo deal. Awesome. Yes. yes. And my producer's in charge of that, not me, because I should not be trusted with things like that. <laughs> Which is good. It's good. Okay, so writing, so uh, you're a little bit of a genre whore, so, which yes. is awesome. Uh, <laughs> what made you actually go that path? Because a lot of people, because you put this all out under your name, right? Not other yes. pen names, correct? Yes. What made you decide to do that? That can be glorious or sometimes not glorious, depending on. Yeah. Um, you know how sometimes you like make a decision without realizing you made one and then you're like in too deep? <laughs> Every time after I'm done with this podcast. Yeah. So um, none of it was really intentional. I think maybe by the time I got to my like sixth or seventh release, I was like, oh, should I have used a pen name? Like, nah, it's too late. <laughs> so, um, so it was more so, so I'm someone who reads just about everything. Um <laughs> I probably, I, I don't read a ton of romance for no, no like particular reason. Um, and I don't do like a ton of like very high fantasy. Um, but other than that, like I'm just drawn to a good story. And so I feel like it's kind of the same way when I'm a writer. Um, I am, I'm like a total nerd. <laughs> and I listen to like a lot of NPR and I would say probably four or five of my books have been like stories that I've heard on NPR that have like triggered something that have like given me an idea. Um, and I'm sure you guys hear this a lot that almost every story just starts with a what if. And it's like, oh, but what if this happened? Or that's cool, but what if it was like this? And so I think since I dabble in reading so many different genres, um, it doesn't necessarily like limit that triggering you know of a story um I will also say that I mean while I do kind of horror and like more like adult fiction um you know if I were to like get into like erotica or something like that like I would use you know a different pen name oh no that would be um, highly recommended from yeah yeah but even though like <laughs> <laughs> do not put young um, adult and erotica under the same name you will not yeah well like um, either side of that no. So even though like the F word is my favorite word in the English language and stuff, um, I don't really write a lot of, I don't write a ton of profanity in my stuff. You know, there's like a lot of people die, but <laughs> other than that, um, I wouldn't be like horrified if somebody who read my young adult wanted to read one of my adult stories, you know? So I, I haven't really felt the need to have to separate one from the other. And I, I think you're right. It's actually interesting. We have a young adult writer in our publication company and she texted me last night and literally was like, is there a line on the gore factor in a young adult story? Mm. And I replied, um, yeah, you can't have anything having to do with a sexual organ happening. I don't care if they're just beating it up, but like nothing. You, and I jokingly said, I'm like, there are no boobs, no vag, no penis. That's it. Like none of that can be touched. And she's like, well, so somebody could rip the face off. And I'm like, yeah, they could totally rip the face off in a young adult book. You can totally have that because young adult horror is very, very close to regular horror yes. minus the sex 
Like yes. the sex is what's pulled out to do the line. And it doesn't matter um, almost anything else. I mean, I say this as a publisher and not every publisher agrees, but I, a lot of horror is right there. It's just, you take the, and it's kind of the same thing with young adult is like, you can have romances in young adult. You can have sex things in young adult, mm -hmm. as long as the door closes and you just describe that something happened or they talk about it, but you don't, you know, touch the, nobody yes. touch, no touch it. Yeah. So, well, there's some adult fiction that almost toes the line with some erotica, you know, where it has like, you know, it's kind of a porno, like in a chapter and stuff where, you know, I'll read things and I'm like, oh my, <laughs> like, you know, where, and young adult, you're right. Like, and even in mine, um, you know, I tell people that on the, the scale of Harry Potter to Hunger Games, mine's like much more Harry Potter. Like not everybody makes it to the end. There's a lot of death. There's maybe one or two curses, but it's like acid shit. You know, it's nothing like too like crazy. Um, but all of the like implied intimacy, like a door shuts figuratively and literally, you know, sometimes, and part of that for me, and it wasn't, it's, I, part of it is cause I know my mother is going to read this stuff. <laughs> just, I just can't, you know, my you know, mother reads all of my books and I write horror under one name and erotica under another name. And he reads all of my books. Those are fun coffee table conversations when oh, he comes to visit about would, the last book he read. And I'm like, I would die. <laughs> I remember he, he was talking about my first erotica book and he was like asking me questions. And I was like, finally, I got to a point and I don't get embarrassed. So I wasn't like embarrassed, but I'm like, dad, do you realize how awkward this probably is? And he goes, yeah, but I kind of wanted to know what you were thinking. Cause this was written like this. And then the tumor and like, where did you get these ideas? I'm like, there's the line. There's the line you don't want to know where those ideas came from. <laughs> it's like, okay, cool. And then it's funny because he reads all the books that the publication company does, everything from her young adult to horror. And then he wants all the erotica stuff. And he's like, I'm like, I will send it to you if you write reviews. That's how this works. And he writes some of the funniest reviews. And I'm like, please at no point mention that you're my father. Just please don't, even if it's not my book. This is the most wholesome story ever and I love it. Well, I think that, you know, to go into a whole realm of social things, I think we as a society need to be willing, we don't have to be comfortable because not every topic is comfortable. Like, so to enforce comfortability on a topic isn't good, but I think we need to just support regardless of what it is for the most part, no hate or violence against me, like, but we need to support each other. So if that's the route somebody wants to go and they want to write about it and that's their thing, like go you go team. Yeah. And I'm that's where I'm kind of, you know, and I, some of my, to this day, like favorite books are books that I read when I was in junior high and high school, you know? And it's like that feeling of where like, you're kind of lost. You feel like the world is moving along with you. And, and especially when it's like tied up into like sex and romance and all of that kind of stuff, if that's not something you're experiencing, that's also alienating. So like, that's kind of interesting when it feels like everyone else is doing it, but you, <laughs> like, you know, that's its also own like feeling, you know? So I definitely wanted, at least in the, in the series that I wrote, um, 
I purposely, this isn't really like a spoiler alert, but like in the first book, like I purposely didn't want the two main characters to be love interests. Like they had agendas <laughs> and like, they also admitted when they didn't know what they were doing and needed help from people who were older than them. And all this kind of stuff that I wanted to also like de-shame some of that, you know, this like feeling that like you have to do it on your own. And just because someone's an adult doesn't mean they can't help you. Cause there were adults that helped me tremendously when I was a kid, you know? So, and there, and I didn't read a lot of that when I was younger, you know, it was a lot of this, like, I picked up the torch myself and did it, which is fantastic. I love reading those books, but that also wasn't my experience. Yeah, no. And I think that's great that you did that. And even that you said that, because I think, you know, one of my biggest, oh, we're opening, I love how we go left on the show. It's like my favorite thing in the world. But um, one of the things I, 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 I've talked about, like we had an author the other day that um, we did a podcast with that goes, I don't understand Twilight. Why was Twilight so exciting, right? And besides the marketing and all the other stuff that goes along with that answer, one of the things that I actually didn't like about Twilight, the Twilight saga, right? And I'm sure, fine, send me hate mail, was um, that I didn't like the relationship dynamic in the in the book i'm not going to talk about the movies but in the book between bella and edward mm -hmm. i actually personally do not like romeo and juliet type love mm -hmm. because where you're willing to give up of yourself and everything and everyone you are for another person i was like i don't like that this message is going out there because this yeah. is not a good message to send out about relationships right mm -hmm. then we go to the like the other side of it which is interesting to me you mentioned hunger games mm -hmm. the relationship between katniss and Peeta in hunger games is very much not one of true romance true love romeo and juliet it's you are the most stable person in my mm -hmm. life and you get me and you're safe and we can be yeah. safe for each other in the end you know and it blooms out of that friendship and stuff mm -hmm. so as much as there's so many other things about that book, I go, that is a much more sane relationship to me. Yeah. Somebody who's a friend and is there for you and can relate to the things that you're going through and can support you in those things. Then um, the uh, Edward Bella dynamic. And it was funny because my teenage daughter was reading those, right? And um I've always tried to get my kids to read stuff. My kid, my son reads Magna and stuff like that. He reads all those things. But mm -hmm. I remember she came out and chucked, I was sitting on the couch and she chucks the book over my head and is like, this is fucking bullshit and walked away. And I was like, so I went and picked it up and it was the book where um, uh, he overhears Edward say Bella got engaged where, um, uh, Oh my God, I forgot his name. The werewolf. Jacob. Yeah, yeah. And she is like, she's with the wrong one. And I was like, I have done well in the world. Yes. Yes. I've done well in the world. Right? She's like, and this is what I try to treat you about listening to your mother and consequences. <laughs> totally. But I think it's- Which I feel like now that I'm a mom, it's like such a generic parent mom thing to say. And I apologize to my wife because my kid's four and I still, every now and then I'm like, well, if you listen to your mother, you wouldn't have. Like, well, 
it's, it's interesting because as writers, we are affecting people's lives in how we're writing and what we're writing. Mm -hmm. Even if it's just supposed to be fun and funny, some people, it is an escape. Like the whole, yeah. you know, that people say, quote unquote, soccer mom, a lot of romance was written to create a fantasy world for yeah. wives to escape into where this, you know, gorgeous, not ever in real life person sweeps in and saves them and loves them for every little flaw they have and they don't have to be perfect and that's that's what that was it's an escape right that's what romance is written yeah. to do and i think as writers we have to remember that our words and our stories we might love this story and we're we're talking about things but readers take different things away from that story yeah right yeah and that's where so my um oh i'm sorry vanessa oh, no. But no, it's just, um, I know that, oh, like, for instance, the trope of the arrogant, like, chauvinistic kind of guy who's damaged and is, like, very, like, tells the girl what to do. And a lot of people do gravitate to those kinds of romances. But then there's a lot of, like, backlash. It's like, should be, we be writing romances like that, acting like they're okay? Because at the end, they get together. It's just like, why would you want to be with someone who treats you like crap and, you know, is very domineering? Like, I don't know, like, for me, like Fifty Shades of Grey, just using an example, like, it was fun going to the movies with a group of girls and you're just like hey let's just like have yeah. a good time there's little sexy times but when I actually like was watching the interaction between the male character and the female character that wasn't involving sex I was like hell no I could never be with a guy like this and there's so many romances that have that kind of yeah that kind of relationship and it's like we shouldn't be writing stuff like this because it's not healthy and it's not happily ever after it's cringeworthy well, and it's this like fantasy. I mean, it's like, obviously Carrie should have ended up with Aiden and not big. Like it's these things yeah. that are like, you're making the wrong decision. <laughs> like, yeah, preach, preach. <laughs> so, but I mean, I think it's also, like I said, I mean, I also have to acknowledge, you know, that I am someone who is far out from the dating scene and far out from being a teenager <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. And when you're and I think that's where sometimes the, um, can be the struggle of writing young adult is like getting back in that mindset of like not lecturing and realizing that like, okay, when I was 15 and I felt like nobody saw me, if this like hot guy came in and told like, I probably would have followed what he said, you know? So like, I feel like there's an aspect of that, that is fine to acknowledge. And there is like, I mean, you know, I mean, I know you talk about like romance being an escapism. I mean, I kind of feel like all writing is an escapism in some manner, like whether or not it's even, you know, grounded in reality or fantasy or whatever. Um, you know, there's an aspect of that whole like damsel in distress that like can be kind of exciting and all this stuff, but like, I don't want to marry it, you know, <laughs> or like, but I feel like that's something that comes with age you know where you also realize that like that relationship like obsession is not healthy necessarily but yeah. it's very sexy and appealing like in the yeah. moment yeah I think also like the I think pe some people are very drawn to the idea of 
oh, I want to be that girl that saves the damaged mm, one. You yeah. know? I can do it. <laughs> I can do it. I can change it. We but... all have friends that have had those relationships if we mm-hmm. haven't ourselves. So we are we are not sitting in a clean place to say that because we all know people who are like, oh, totally. so that's why I don't like necessarily, you know, like I feel like Twilight, I mean, I enjoyed them. I enjoyed the fluff of them. I think there is a level that like, I do try to take seriously, you know, when I write young adult of like, what am I personally teaching? But I don't begrudge an author if they're just like, this is super fun. (laughs) and I'm just going to write it, you know, necessarily. But I personally do like to write stories that I would have gotten something out of, I think, when I was that age. And I I think... I, I love that you said that. I think one of the things we have to constantly remind ourselves of, of, and it gets into the what responsibility do we have, blah, blah, blah. I think that we have a responsibility to be entertaining and remind people that it's fiction. And one thing that I don't like is when authors talk about their fiction as if there is a reality component to it and not it's fiction. It's a story and you can love this story, but there are parts, it's kind of like when you write the books, you don't remember every single scene and every single thing a person said. Sometimes you just throw a character in there to bridge some weird thing. Mm -hmm. Like you need a toll keeper at a bridge and there's a reason they can't get across the river or whatever, right? In a fantasy book, I'm throwing that out there that happened to us in game yesterday, but it's fine. Um, But you, you do stuff and readers can find something in that work that is, amazing to them or triggering to them but it's entertainment it's like creating a movie or creating anything like that but i i think that we have to be willing to go yeah it's a very entertaining story but i'm not as an author going to talk like this is real world advice mm-hmm. and write for everybody this is oh, yeah. this character and how this character is i'm not going to advertise to emulate this character because i'm not saying this character is the right person to emulate you know yeah so. Well, and I think some of the exploration, because um, shameless plug time. Um, <laughs> plug away. We're down for that. My upcoming release. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so this, so this book that you know, I I had worked a really long time for that you know is coming out in March. Um, it it has a lot of religious undertones in it. Um, so it's a girl who she's 16 and she's or 15 and she starts um, seeing visions of God and her family is very religious and it turns out that she has a frontal lobe brain tumor oh. and so she is not sure if these visions are real or if they're being caused by the tumor or not um, and you know, it's something that as I was, you know, shopping this book around and things like that, you know, a lot of the feedback I was getting was, yeah, it's kind of religious and that. And I'm like, but what, like for me personally, like what teenager is not confronting what they believe in, no matter what that is, you know, it's, you know, and depending on how religious your parents were, like, do you follow in their beliefs? Do you have your own? Do you, not believe, which is also its own journey, you know, so I felt like it was still this kind of universal 
reflection. And so why, you know, I'm certainly not telling people like, if you have a frontal lobe brain tumor, do not take your parents to court to become medically emancipated. So you can keep it to keep having visions of God, which is what happens in this book. Like that is not what I would recommend. But I think that there's this universal and sometimes not talked about exploration around that age of where do I fit? Like, where do I fit in the world? Do I believe this stuff? Do I want to continue on the path of what, you know, my parents or society has taught me? Do I go this other way? Do they not believe? And I do, you know, vice versa. So like that to me was just an interesting exploration. So I hope, like I said, I hope no one necessarily like follows the advice of this book, but I hope at the very least it creates a self-reflection of discussion of that it's okay not to know. <laughs> in a conversation. So you said two things that I think are so we need to touch on. First of all, um, one of the things, so we have a publication company and we talked about this a little bit. And part of my vision of this publication company is to stop going, I'm going to put you in a box mm. because we have to stop telling people what to write about. What we can tell people is you need to work on your grammar, you mm -hmm. need to work on your tenses, you need to work on your pacing because your story is not fucking moving along like the way it needs to. But stop telling people what their voice is and what they want to talk about. Now, I put a caveat for everybody who's, again, wants to send me a note on Twitter, is that if you, I, I, I am not a believer in promoting violence against people, horror movies, that kind of thing. But like, you, you don't need to go out and hurt kittens. Like, that's not a thing. Um, I also, you know, there are topics that I don't feel need to be communicated. But again, that's me personally. That doesn't mean you don't have that voice and you can't have that. I, I found out about a genre like a year and a half ago, which was fascinating, which is a genre of people who have a fetish about being eaten. Like foot, like eaten, like like it's like eaten, not cannibalized, not killed and eaten. It's a weird fantasy. I forget what it's called. Um, and again, somebody on Twitter will post it for me, so that'll be the name. But there's a whole subculture on Tumblr that writes about this particular fantasy, and there's a bunch of art around it and stuff like that. And I went, okay, well, I don't have that, but. It is unfair of me to say anything. Now, guess what? I do not think you should go cannibalize and eat people. That's a thing. I just don't think you should do that. One, and it's illegal most places in the United States, at least. And it's not but healthy. If that's your thing and you want to write about it and you're doing this creative art around it, and sure, go for it, right? So there's that one piece, right? Mm -hmm. The other piece is, again, it's fiction. And if you create a conversation around your fiction, and most teenagers, like, I don't know why the world has forgotten this, but it is only in the last couple hundred years, maybe, that people went to 18 years old in their household. You mm -hmm. used to be 12 to 14 years old. You were out, you were married, you had a farm or whatever. You were doing whatever the work thing was that you were doing. We changed that to make it older, but that doesn't mean the the constructs were changed in the thinking because i love teenagers and you you know the joke that teenagers think they know it all yeah because they're ready to be out they're ready to be out in the world they're ready to be making their decisions and not having people tell them their their decisions 
or that they should fit into some sort of mold. And I, I love that you've written this book from that aspect because again, religion, people grow up in religions. That doesn't mean that's a religion they've chosen for themselves. Yeah. Right. And it really started, like I said, I, I keep getting all these ideas from NPR. Um, it was actually kind of a mashup of two stories. So they were talking about how some philosophers back in the day, and forgive me, I don't know all their names. Maybe your, your Twitter community can help. Twitter community, please. We need to know the names um, and tell us how we're not educated enough to know that. that there were some like philosophers um, who had these frontal lobe brain tumors, and they were also interviewing people who had these. And so they tend to be very slow growing. They tend to be more in adults. Um, and I believe it's like glad glaboblastoma um, is the is the name of it, but that they're because of the place that they push on the brain that they can bring you to like a higher level of understanding. And so there are people who have had these tumors that then once they get them removed, feel like they're missing something because they had these incredible experiences when they had these tumors. Um, and then it was kind of quickly followed up with a story of a, um, which, you know, I feel like happens every now and then, you know, of parents who declined medical treatment for their children based on religious reasons. And so I was, you know, again, with every kind of story starting with a what if, and I was like, gosh, what if it were interesting if it was the kid who wanted to decline the medical treatment, you know, where their parents are very religious they think they're having this religious experience and there there is this confrontation in the book where stevie who is the girl's name you know confronts her parents and she's like why can you believe prophets from two thousand years ago but not your own kids standing in front of you like why can't this be real you know like how come once you know jesus came and all this stuff happening nothing else could have Nobody else could have had this experience since then. It all had to happen in the past and we can't believe anything new. Like how can't, maybe this is real and why aren't you letting me explore this? You know, so it was kind, I kind of also I wanted- book. I want to read this book. We're going <laughs> to so glad. coffee when it was released. And I feel like there is that stuff, you know, that you have, you know, where of course you think, you know, everything when you're a teenager and there's stuff where like your brain isn't fully developed and you are just so much more emotionally driven and all this kind of stuff. But I mean, there are instances where like, I feel like probably everybody that has had that experience when they're a teenager and they realize that their parents are wrong and they just don't know everything. <laughs> and like, while I might not know everything, like I know that I'm right in this, you know? And that was something that I like really wanted to explore with this character, you know, where she kind of butts heads with her parents that have set her up to believe something. And then now that she's experiencing it, don't trust her anymore, you know, for it. I think that's that's brilliant, but it's true. And it gives, regardless of it's that topic of a brain tumor or religion and stuff, it does give pause for thought because, you know, one of the things I did as a parent, um, and I have two adult children now, but I always would go, when they bring me something or situation, I'd always go, okay, well, well what do you want to do about it? Mm -hmm. And listen to their explanation about what they wanted to do about the situation. And it's kind of like the kid that goes, climbs up on the roof when he's five, 
ties the sheet to him and jumps off and you go, oh my God, why would he do that? Because we know the dynamics and the body and the mm -hmm. velocity and the ground and blah, because he thought he could fly. And you might go, well, that's dumb. No, it's not dumb. That's how far they got it five years old. The thing, yeah. thing out was he literally went out of his way to get the cape. Like, if you really think of these things, you go, he figured out how to get on the roof. Yeah. He got his cape. Like, he actually did a lot of analytics, but he hasn't been taught gravity. And, you know, unless Douglas Adams is correct, where you fall and you miss the ground, we we have a gravity situation. We have science that maybe stops us from flying, right? But a five-year-old doesn't know the science of stopping us from flying. So every time I see a parent get mad at their kid, especially when they're smaller and they do something and they're like, I don't understand why they did it. I'm like, because you're not five. You're yeah. not three. You're not thinking like they want to jump and they want to feel the wind against their skin and they think they're a superhero. They're seeing them on TV. Obviously, some mm -hmm. people can fly and probably all you need is a cape or little Iron Man gloves. I don't know. That's the logic that they have. And I think people forget that about kids. So it's important to remind kids that they can, or children, I should, young adults, they can see things and they can see them their way and question their way. Because as much as parents, we'd like to be right all the time. I don't think we're right. I think we're experienced. That's what I'm gonna say. We're experienced, you know? That's awesome. You know what I realized though? It is time for our first break. So we're gonna take a break and we'll be right back with Drinking with Authors. This is the voice of Drinking With Authors. You are at our commercial break, and our commercial is, hey, do you want to be a guest on our show? Or do you have a question for one of the guests on our show? Or do you have a brilliant drink recipe that we've never heard of? That would have to stump us. But you could reach us at drinkingwithauthors at gmail.com or on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. You can direct message or even just leave a comment on one of our posts. We would absolutely love to hear from you. philosophical let's talk about when you started writing them oh gosh um so I not to like bore you all with like sob backstories <laughs> but so I was a kid who did not know how to read and so I like so I grew up in Pennsylvania um you know was always like way behind everybody on the like color books that you were like I don't know supposed to be at like a level purple when you were in second grade and I was like at a level white or whatever like I was I was very behind my reading level um and so luckily it got like caught by third grade that it was basically pretending that I could read um whoa and well so, done for getting to third grade pretending you could read yeah skill set um, in and of itself I think yeah very it did not, like That's do scary. well for me <laughs> Oh, the fake it till you make it did not quite <laughs> I know that would come back to haunt you later but I appreciate the enthusiasm so <laughs> yes so um yeah so it got like I said it got like caught around third grade and so I got um I was in a special class and so Miss Slavin who I chalk up my entire probably life <laughs> If you want to like pinpoint a teacher, you know, who like changed the trajectory of your life. It was absolutely her. Um, and so I got put into a special class 
and like kind of tangent, it's kind of funny because my mom had told me years and years later um, that when I got put into this class, evidently all the parents like knew what this class was and like no one wanted their kids in it because it meant that like you were struggling. It was like only the kids that were behind. And so she had said that, you know, some of the parents had said something to her and she's like, she doesn't know how to read. <laughs> I literally don't care. Like she needs to know this. I thought your mom for not caring about social pressure. Totally. Like did not give a shit. And so it's so funny because when she had said that to me and I was like, really? I was like, all the parents were that upset about it. I was like, because it was the only class because my, my elementary school had gotten kind of big at that point. And so it was in a mobile classroom and it was the only class that had air conditioning. All of the other classrooms had like an oscillating fan like at the front. Wow. So everyone was jealous of who got to be in Ms. Slavin's class because they had air conditioning. So I guess it just, I don't know, maybe this is a parental story to tell also that like, it just goes to show that the hangups you might have as a parent or the polar opposite of the experience of the kids going through it. I had no idea that I was in a class for kids that were struggling. I just knew I got AC in the summer in Philadelphia and that was amazing. <laughs> I was gonna say, and, and you're lucky, there you go. Right, and so I think at that point then, the second that I knew how to read, I was like, thank God. And so I was like, absolutely one of those kids in the summer who my, you know, mom was like, get out of the house and go play outside, <laughs> put the book down. And I'm like, okay, I'll go sit outside and read. <laughs> like that was okay. my- And you're like, cool, grab the book, walk outside. Oh, totally. Like beyond made up for lost time. And so the second that I knew how to read, I started writing that I was like, I like just had this need to, and I, and I don't know if it's because I was kind of like deprived of stories for the first, you know, eight years of my life or whatever, that then it like kind of lit this fire. Um, and so I would, oh gosh. And my parents were like just cleaning out their attic like a week ago. And they're like, we found all these stories you wrote. I was like, put them in the fire and like, we need those stories, get them. I know. I know. No, my dad was like, once you're big, I'm going to sell them on eBay. I'm like, burn them. <laughs> I am going to find your so embarrassing. I want to be one of the first purchasers of said stories. I'm super excited about this now. So wait, I have a question. So yeah. which book do you think, so after you've learned how to read to a, your, your age level, yeah. what, what do you remember a specific series or book that just like really honed in that love for reading? So I will say it's two um, and they've kind of merged. <laughs> this is also like a total side story that's kind of bizarro. Um, so around this time, um, I was also, I, I ride horses still to this day and I was in a very bad horseback riding accident. And so had like a concussion, really bad amnesia. I don't remember a lot of things. So there's some stuff that it's possible that there was some time separating the events, but in my head, they've happened very close together. So while I don't think I went straight from picture books to like huge chapter books, in my head, they happened at the same time. <laughs> I love it. I'm pretty sure there was a gap between the two, but I'll just talk it up to, you know, my memory. Um, 
But so I will say, so Bill Pete, I don't know if you've ever read Bill Pete books. Um, so the wing ding dilly, I like will recommend this to like every single person I can come across. Um, it's a story about a dog who thinks he's not good enough for his owner. And so leaves and finds a witch. And so she turns him into every animal that his boy loves. Aww. So he's got like giraffe legs and a zebra head and a camel hump and like all these weird things. And so then he ends up getting like becomes a freak. People are scared of him. They capture him and put him in a zoo or like a circus. And then he finally escapes gets spoiler alert like 30 years later um <laughs> escapes spoiler alert for all the young adults i know i know it's like a real kid it's be like letting you do that <laughs> um but escapes finds the witch again and begs her to turn him back into a dog and does and he like finds his boy and he's like oh i've missed you so much it's like you know it's the story of you're good enough how you are and that just so affected me as a kid and I was like how do I do this like how do I do this for other people and make other people feel this way you know especially as a kid who felt not I mean my you know my parents were certainly like very loving and very supportive and I had friends and all this stuff but I, I felt stupid for so many years that you know, once I finally was able to read and all that, like, I just remember that book being so life-changing. Like I said, just in the sense that I'm like, somebody made this and I read it and it meant something, you know, and that like blew my mind <laughs> that you could do that. And then I also, and to this day, my absolute favorite book I've ever written or um, read is Watership Down by Richard Adams. This is such a social commentary book. Yeah. I'm so surprised you said that. Spoiler alert, we don't get to ask you that question in the next episode, but wow. Because, oh, you know, no, who are you apologizing for? It's your podcast. I don't sorry for jumping the gun. <laughs> but I t Watership Down, I did read as a child. And then obviously the movie is one of the most heartbreaking movies it's like, and like really bloody for kids yeah it's very <laughs> bloody and the other story that i i watched and then read was where the red fern grows mm. which oh. is way worse than old yeller just for the record Anne and little Anne. i mean come on yeah. like <laughs> and have you ever seen where the red fern grows vanessa I haven't read any of these books. I, I I only know them. Well, where the wood red fern grows, I've heard the name, never read it. I've seen the trailer for Watership or the just and made it that has rabbits again. and that Sam Smith uh, did a song for that movie that I'm obsessed with. But no, I, I think the the only things I remember watching was uh, Bridge to Terabithia, which that made mm -hmm. me cry. I can't watch that and. I want to say, um, yeah, there was probably another one. I can't think of it. So you will sob at Where the Red Fern Grows, like ugly, gasping, crying. Yeah. So Where the Red Fern Grows is about a young boy who hire, uh, who saves his money. He's a, a poor farmer kind of thing and saves his money and gets two bloodhounds at the same time. 
and there's a whole incident with a cougar. Needless to say, they die, right? But one of them dies from saving him, and one of them dies of loneliness and a broken heart from losing the other one. And when he buries them, a red fern grows between them. So that's where the red fern grows. Literally gave me goosebumps just telling you that. And this is for children? Yes. God. <laughs> and then Watership Down, though, is heavily, like where the red fern grows is a sad story, very much like Old Yeller. But Watership Down is very much a social commentary. Mm -hmm. But you don't know that as a child. And it, it is one of the best stories to give you a glimpse on something that when you see stuff in the future, you look back to how that story went. And it is about slavery a little bit. It's about things like that, underprivileged people, like Watership Down is, but it is one, it's definitely, I would say, probably what we would call truly a modern day fairy tale. If we were talking about fairy tales the way they used to be, mm, yeah. which were social commentary. The grim yeah. ones, the grim fairy tales. Well, it wasn't just the grim fairy tales. A lot of fairy tales in the olden times were trying to explain social situations and social stature. Yeah, well, like Wizard of Oz was about the Great, wasn't it about the Great Depression? Uh, yeah, I, yeah, because I know like, because in the book that her slip, Dorothy's slippers were silver and like they were supposed to represent the money at that time period or some something so yeah yeah and then i know well, even though this is not really a kid's book uh uh animal farm for instance in yeah. high school uh just yeah i mean that one was one i can't even isn't lord of the flies also a commentary i haven't read that one lord of the flies is very much a commentary on what happens when you get a mob mentality happening is what yeah. happens in lord of the flies mm -hmm. is what happens when a social situation degrades into the point of where it, you know, it is. And it's interesting you bring that up because I think all of us, and I'm going to ask you this question. So you're going to be prepared. I'm giving you time because I'm going to pontificate for a moment. But um, I look back on a lot of the books that I had as a reading list, and I'm not going to lie, I'm 47 years old. So I had a different reading list than today. Like, I don't even know if they have a reading list today in high school because my daughter was able to read Fifty Shades of Grey and do a book report on it, which didn't make any sense to me, but whatever. Um, legitimately in okay. high school was able to do that. But I look at it and a lot of the books that were on the reading list that I had, had little social commentary points. Like, you know, Lord of the Flies was on that. To Kill a Mockingbird was on that like stories that had an impact and some of them I, I hated the fucking books they were terrible but some of them like you know you've heard me talk about it Vanessa To Kill a Mockingbird I think is fucking some of the most brilliant fiction that was written right mm -hmm. and but I think there is a lot of books and I think when a story going back I'm going for a circle but I'm about to ask you what your favorite high school book is so just that's where we're at um is Going back, I think it's important if you can tell a story and tell it so well that you put something in it, kind of like the story that's coming out in March, where you put something in it that makes people think, even if it's not right then, but when they get to being confronted with that in life and seeing it, and they go back to the choices. Like Charlotte's Web, for instance, there are some choices made in Charlotte's Web on the conversations between the pig and the spider that 
don't seem like a lot, but they're actually very important about choices in life. And you don't realize that you've been kind of shown some ways to look at things differently. Yeah, this and that's where, and I'll just jump in real quick and then you can ask yeah, me. Yeah, go, 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 it's your podcast. Jump um, in and that's where like, if anybody reading this pod or listening to this podcast has not read Watership Down, I'm like, I'm like a really big pusher for it. Um, but it's one of those that, and I find that there's so many of those books like that, like The Giver, um, like ones that like you read when you're younger. And what I find very interesting, kind of that blurring of lines of like young adult is that you get one experience from it. And I think it just goes to show that you bring your own experiences to what you read, you know, and you get one thing from it. And so Watershed Down is a book that I read. I um, probably reread it once every other year and I get something new every time. And actually in my, my first series that I wrote, the Four Corners one, um, one of my main characters, Levi, I had the rabbit Hazel in my mind when I was writing his character. And so his story arc follows it like just enough that if you've read both, you can probably pick some things out. Um, but I find that really interesting of those layers, you know, sometimes of those books that, like I said, you know, that you get, you know, and for me as a kid, like it was about bunnies. And I really liked rabbits. I had one. Like it was like very surfacey, <laughs> you know, and they like, they travel and they have battles and it was exciting. And, you know, I, I didn't understand the social commentary of it because I was too young. Um, but now, and it's, I was like a super goody to, um, I still am. I was like a super goody two shoe as a kid. And like the one bad thing I ever did was literally legit the copy of Watership Down I have I stole from my high school library. <laughs> it still has like the card in it and like apologies to Abington Senior High School. <laughs> like I legit stole I that. Your book is penance. I know. I'm gonna like penance. I don't know, run for president one day and they're gonna be like, you have like $10,000 in overdue library fines or something like that and are ineligible or whatever. But um, it's that one that I like go back and read and I get something from it every time. And I find that really interesting. You know, there's, there's just so many damn good books out there that I wanna read. And so it's hard to go back and justify rereading something I already have. But there are some and like, Girl Who Owned a City was a book I like really remember reading as a kid and like um, Girl with the Face on the Milk Carton and like. Oh, I read oh, that one. That one was heartbreaking. The in the Did you watch yes. that one? Oh. Yeah. And there's like certain ones that, I mean, who knows? Maybe it's like going back and watching The Goonies that it's like you were in a place in your life when you watch it and it's so magical. And when you do it again as an adult, you're like. No, it's cool. still magical. The Goonies is still a magical thing, but oh, you know, no, it's still, ever. It's still totally magical. I just, I'm like, oh, they only had to do like three things and they got the treasure. Like when I was a kid, I remember it being this like huge epic something. And I'm like, they played the piano and walked around a couple of rocks. Like it was not as like- There was a skeleton. It was scary. It was scary. It totally is. But it's like interesting when you come back to stuff that's like so meaningful. Like sometimes I'm afraid to do that because I don't want to like mess with the magic of what I remember it being. 
But again, these like books that are just like, they just stay with you. And most of them are books that I read when I was a teenager. I know Vanessa wants to say something, but I want to say, go ahead, yeah. Vanessa. Cause there's- Oh, no, I feel the same way. Like, uh, I know one of the books I read was Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nim. That was <sighs> one that I was like, obsessed with and I kind of like want to reread some of those uh the giver I reread as an adult and just realized how amazing that book is it's just that one and um oh goodness there were so many oh man I was obsessed with the American girls and being able I felt like I was being transported to that time period and history and I loved reading in the back they used to have after the story ended they had facts of what happened in that actual mm-hmm. time period and like oh yeah but sometimes I worry about rereading some of those and then it not holding well yeah. <laughs> so I don't want to like lose the magic <laughs> I think that's true two things I um recently rewatched the movie my best friend's reading with julia roberts and i love that movie that she's fucking terrible i really <laughs> watched that movie and i fucking hate her she is a horrible person what she does to him the fact that he will even speak to her again, <laughs> I'm, i was like I, i'm i'm i was like god she's an asshole and it just goes to prove how you can look at something mm-hmm. when you've done that like but I read all the Nancy Drew mysteries mm-hmm. when I was a kid. And one of the things that I think, believe it or not, it gave me, because some of those stories were terribly interesting. And a lot of people would be like, there's a strong female character. That's actually not what it gave me. It gave me perspective in looking at things for not being exactly what they appear to be. Because a lot of her mystery solving was around seeing the nuances and things mm-hmm. that you didn't see it first when she goes to explain how she you know figured out who they were but kind of to your point like i have you watched scooby-doo as an adult my kid's obsessed (laughs) you watch that and you go why am i showing my kid this show like why would i let them watch this there's so much sexual innuendo and so much drug innuendo in that show you go why would I let my kid watch this show and I realized because this happened with Teletubbies believe it or not so my kids loved Teletubbies when they were like two and all these parents were like this is terrible blah 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 and I'm like my kids would say the words and "Uh uh-oh and all this stuff and I was like we're not two years old to us of course this is completely ridiculous But to a two-year-old, it's literally on their level. Like, they get it. They completely get this show, and it makes sense, and it's talking to them in words they can say and stuff like that. So well, I- that's where I've seen, you know, because my, so I have a four-year-old, and he's, like, into these, like, I'm sure you all have heard these videos of, like, kids opening toys. Yes, something, Ryan's playtime or something. Yes. and yeah. So- and it's yeah. so funny because I had some, uh, it was like somebody on Facebook, like kind of broke it down and it's like, oh, we make fun of kids for like watching people like open toys, but also I'll watch a marathon of people buying houses. And I'm like, hmm, that's some truth. <laughs> like, I, like, uh, I will in fact watch a marathon of people on house hunters. So like, is there really a difference between like, is it all just living vicariously and maybe I should stop judging it? <laughs> No, I mean, that makes sense. I, I, I can't tell you how many uh, makeup uh, 
unhauls. I've seen people like, what's in my purse? And yes. they bust out like, you know, all this stuff. And it's like, but is this really important? So <laughs> that's a great point. <laughs> don't get me started. I will go down a YouTube hole and I don't have TikTok for this reason. Although I managed to get TikTok videos through other apps is watching drag performers put on their makeup mm. because literally i am in awe of every single one of them and because they just they're so flawless all the time that i'm like i can't do this i have all the things like i'll go buy the things and i go to do it and i look like a fucking clown like i don't post videos because i'm like i look ridiculous but they go from you know obviously most of them are all of them are male right they go from being male to this transformation that is gorgeous like there aren't any words for it like almost myth i i figured out how to glue down my eyebrows i do cosplay so i did figure out how to do that but i figured out only from watching the videos because people go glue down your eyebrows there are layers you have to put many layers and let the glue dry and then more layers to get that smooth you don't know that shit I'm just always looking for the perfect cat eye. If I can do that, I, I would be done. <laughs> there are things you can buy that just put it on now. Like we don't actually have to do anything. Yeah. Oh, no, there's, a, there's a stamp for eyebrows, which I don't recommend because every time I see like anything beyond the ad, it looks horrific. But it's literally like, if you want to get that perfect eyebrow, you stick it in some powder and then you just stamp eyebrow like no and I've tried stuff and I just end up looking like Eugene Levy and it just isn't a good like I can't like anytime I've touched my eyebrows it's just not a good look oh my god it's awesome okay so uh, this has nothing to do with our podcast we're gonna okay. back on food, but eyebrow powder uh, yes no that's what I tried I'm telling you no no not no them, but look there's, like there's an exact diagonal brush you use Okay. And then the powder. And Jessica Albert one, one time said the only thing that she ever makes sure of is in place is eyebrow powder and mascara. She won't okay. leave without eyebrow powder and mascara. She doesn't care about the rest of it. And I literally took this advice to heart. And so when I, not right now, guys, because I drink and I know things, um, but I will leave the house with eyebrow powder and that but you have to find the right shade and i can okay. guarantee you whatever you think your shade is <laughs> is not the right shade go see a professional i like came out of the bathroom and my husband was like whoa <laughs> i was like yeah i'm taking it off this is just for entertainment well that's because you need the, you need the dual like because i i use eyebrow because if not like i would have like basically no eyebrows because of i blame the early 2000s when they said oh yeah we want thin over plucked eyebrows so now and uh, in my 30s i have to like draw mine on and uh the anastasia has two colors okay. and in it and you're supposed to kind of mix both of them so you don't get that weird harsh you know eugene levy eyebrows but <laughs> oh my god we're so but anyway like total tangent sorry to all of your listeners no you know what our <laughs> listeners listen for these tangents because we're entertaining I've heard some podcasts, to be honest with you, like some are really entertaining, but I've heard some book podcasts are talking to authors and like, I fall asleep. Like I can put them on them to fall asleep. Cause I'm like, they want to talk to the author. You know, they want to hear what the author is like. Cause, and this goes into celebrity. So let's talk about your fans. 
Have you done um, like uh, conferences or conventions where you've met your fans? Yeah, so I do um, actually, shameless plug number two. <laughs> you go girl. So um, not this upcoming Friday, but next Friday. So February 5th is um, the Trinity Prep School, um, their author festival. So this is the sixth year I think they've done it. And so this year it's virtual. So um, unfortunately, I think by the time you guys listen to this, it'll be done, but you can mark it for your calendars for 2022. Um, but so I've done it for all, all six years. Um, so it's Trinity Prep School that's in Central Florida. Um, and they started this a few years ago where they get a ton of children's middle grade, young adult authors to come in. Um, they've gotten some big names now for it. Um, and so like the kids all get to come, they, we do panels, they ask us questions. Um, it's like this total, like awesome rock star experience because like, I'm not a rock star. <laughs> so it's like really awesome, you know, to like talk to these kids. And again, you know, it's something where like, when I was that age, I would have loved the shit out of this. <laughs> like I would have been like there all day, you know, for it. And so I've done that. I've done a couple of Florida Writers Association. Um, I did, um, there was a one-year conference. It was um, the, of a speculative fiction Southeast um, that was in Orlando. Um, I've done talks too. Again, this is kind of a tangent, but just in my like personal everyday life. Um, I just recently left that, but I um, am also a certified firearms examiner. Um, so yeah, random. Um, so I used to work for the state. Um, and so I like microscopically looked at like bullets and cartridge cases that were at crime scenes and tried to like identify them to suspect guns. I'm going um, to be calling you. I'm writing a serial killer book. I have questions, do. but I'll call please you separate outside of this. <laughs> yeah. Please do. Like I said, this is like, again, apologies for like, now this has turned like a true crime thing. I'll I could talk to you for hours on this topic. I was literally just discussing pulling both guns out of water the other day yes. with somebody. Yes. Ooh, I can give you a lot of like deep personal feelings about that. Um, <laughs> separate, separate tangent. But anyway, we'll do that on the next commercial break. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so, and now I'm actually working. Um, I'm a federal contractor now kind of working on more of the investigative end. So I started that um, in January, but still in gun crime. Um, so I've done a lot of talks of um, firearms for writers. So how to properly use firearms, different ammunition, like that kind of stuff of like correct verbiage and all of that. So I kind of toe the line a little bit. So when I go to some of these conferences, I wear like two hats. So sometimes I'm there as an author and sometimes I'm there like as a forensic scientist. So it just kind of depends um, on what they're looking for. Um, you know, I've done a couple of like library visits and that kind of stuff. And especially now with COVID, it's super easy to do all these, you know, remotely. Virtually. And yeah, yeah. So I've done quite a few. I think one of the most amazing things, and I want to say this because you mentioned it, you are a rock star to whoever read your book and you had that impact on them. Yeah. And we as authors, authors are some of the most humble celebrities I've ever met. Meaning like, they're like, people read my stuff and they like it. And, you know, we're sitting in a booth and when somebody comes up and fangirls on us, we're like, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> you know? But we forget.
forget that we have that impact. I always think it's interesting when fans do come up and want to talk to you about your book. Mm -hmm. You know, how many experiences have you had like that where they're they're coming to you and they're like, oh my God, I love it. And you're like, so again, so it's usually been at that um, Trinity Prep because so I so I released my first book in 2015, um the second one in 2017, and the third one in 2018 or 2019. I I forget the exact dates, um, but I had started doing that um, when my first book was out. So it was really interesting, like getting some of the kids who were like freshmen who like read the first book and then the second book came out and then read the third. Um, my, so I'm someone that just from my work, um, you know, I've had to testify in court almost 70 times. I have to do lots and lots of public speaking. So as I'm sure you've probably gotten a hint on, I'm a little bit extroverted. Um, so. no, you seem very, very, very I'm, I'm just like a total wallflower. Um, <laughs> so like, so that public speaking aspect, like that I'm, I'm good with, um, but it's interesting where I've had people, and you kind of mentioned this before about how like, you know, you'll write something and like almost forget you wrote it. And so I'll have sometimes where someone will come and tell me about something and like, I, I, I'm like struggling to remember what they're talking about because I don't always remember the odds and ends of everything. And it's funny that there's also, so in my um, second book, there was um, actually the first one, there was a character, there were two characters that didn't make it to the end. And I was under the impression that everybody would care about this particular character and everybody cared about this one. <laughs> so all of like the texts I got from people I know and people that have come up to me were like, how could you have done that? And I was like, well, I like kind of needed that person to die so that there was a torch for the second book to move the story and like their story arc had kind of completed like they just like if it makes you feel any better like I also cried like I don't really know what to tell you. <laughs> I don't know what to say so they're dead. But, but I'm really sorry. Like too. I know but like I, <laughs> like I felt really bad about it but it's yeah. funny. So I had, was at a conference a few years ago and Orson Scott Card was there. Um, oh my God. And oh, my reread book. And so he had mentioned <laughs> that he's now on some of his series. You know, he doesn't remember everything. So he was like, I just go to the internet and go to a message board. And I'm like, does this person's mom have a name? And like, wait for people to respond. He was like, cause I can't keep track of everybody. So I was like, well, that makes me feel a little bit better. Hey, George R. R. Martin, he has assistants that keep track. Uh, and they, I think yeah. they can beta read his stuff to make sure everything is, there's continuity, you know, throughout yeah. his series. Um, I know there's other authors that do that because there's yes, because George R. R. Martin is a pantser and I love him for this. I can't even imagine. I'm a pantser. And when I found out George R. R. Martin is a pantser, so Vanessa, who's one of the editors that has dealt with my work, can tell you I am one thousand percent a certified pantser. Like yes. I do not write shit down. And That's it's just the way if I found if I try to write it down for me, and this everybody needs to find their thing. I get stuck in the trying to follow this narrative that I'm like, nope, it's going this way. It's fine. I'm still going to get the same place, but we're going left instead of right. And when I found out he was a pantser, I literally 
my awe level of this human like went up 10,000% because I'm like, how do you keep track of all this shit? Because I figured he had some huge board with note cards and string attached to it, kind of linking mm -hmm. like the blue string is this lineage. And he's like, nah, make it up as I go along. And I'm like, I mean, I even have, so like for my series and I'll show you, cause I have some of my notebooks next to me. Cause I handwrite a lot of stuff. Um, I also make sure like in red pen next to a character, write that they're dead because I accidentally like <laughs> brought someone back to life in like the third book. <laughs> One of my beta readers was like, aren't they dead? I'm like, you are correct. I will make it somebody else. <laughs> you are absolutely correct. This is the ghost of that person. And it's Did I not say ghost because I will go write ghost. Yeah. I'm like, oh, it was like kind of a typo. That's not really who I meant. But yes, they are dead. <laughs> oh I actually God. create a, as I write a draft, I create a Bible alongside my draft so every time I create a new character I add them to this list to because I've accidentally almost called multiple characters the same name or a, a, a name that was very similar to another and it's just a great way to like because my brain is like scattered and yeah. I need some type of something to keep me organized because you know it's just me myself and I when I'm doing well if you guys will humor me so yeah. I also Please. um so I'm in um a writer's group that anybody can be in it's called writer's atelier and if you need like a champion behind you Raquel Henry is your girl and so mm -hmm. they have like an awesome Facebook group and all this stuff. And it's literally like all support, no bullshit. Like nobody- We're all members of Writer's Atelier. It's, I mean, anybody who is listening here that thinks that they want to be a writer, join this group. Like it's awesome. But so I have a reputation for being a fast typer. Um, and also, yeah, true yes. story. Um, and also being a completely- psycho plotter <laughs> and yeah. I you, listen let me just say to all the listeners out there if you've ever been on a writing retreat with Kristen more than likely you felt inadequate with yourself like I did because she did I just want to say out there we did this is before pandemic yeah. so this is the year pandemic. Of the pandemic and we did a was it four days four day writing <laughs> retreat and three. Was it three? Because, oh, yeah, because did you leave? Okay, she left a day early. But I just want to tell you the craziness that she did. Because the goal is to write 50,000 words in the month of November. And you can correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't you write all 50,000 words in three days? Or was it oh, halfway? I wrote 25,000. <laughs> okay, so she did half a month's work in three days. Yes. And I only managed to do what, like I'm leaving this podcast. Yeah. What the fuck? Like, yeah. seriously. So I will say, so this is a combination of the fact that I can type 80 words a minute. <laughs> <laughs> and also the fact that I am a completely psychotic plotter. Okay. So just to like peel back the curtain a bit, if anybody's interested, obviously, if you like go to the YouTube channel, you'll be able to like see what I'm holding up. Um, but I, so I start with, and I also have like crazy handwriting. Um, so I start with like a total summary of everything that's going to happen. And then I write my like 
character lists, any research that I have to do ahead of time. And then I literally go chapter by chapter. So I write everything that's going to happen. And then I check it off as I go. So for me, I can write really fast because I already know, like, I already know in this chapter, like, this is everything that's happening for it. I can just expand it out. So my goal when I write is that if you were to do a Cliff Notes version of my book, it would be my plot. Like, they're the same thing. And so this lets me, because like I said, I mean, I have a young child. I have a full-time job. I also run marathons. I ride horses. Like I'm a very, I like squeeze my 24 hours. Stop being a superstar. You're making both of us look bad. And it's okay. our podcast. Yeah. So yeah. Let's just stop No, I'm kidding. Gone, <laughs> <laughs> And then maybe you'll. <laughs> I get a bottle of wine and a computer and sometimes I get shit done. So hashtag. Yeah. You like write hard, okay? You make yeah. it look, look like super easy. Like she's just like there, and I'm looking at her. I'm like, how do you do it? How do you give yourself permission? That like meme where he's just like banging on the keyboard. <laughs> <laughs> That's my writing process. I yeah. channel my inner Kermit, basically. Oh my god! <laughs> and like. And, you know, you guys are totally right. Like you, you have to find what works for you. Um, I will say my first book that I wrote, I totally pantsed it. It was a mistake um, because then I realized it was going to be a series. I couldn't remember anything that happened. So I had to go back and actually write my whole plot, write all my character lists. So I think it also depends on like what you're writing. If it's a standalone or a series, if you're writing a series, just like do your future self a favor (laughs) and write down who everybody is. And if they die, like, trust me, it's just going to be more. And I will say that I think every author out there needs to try new things. You need to try it and you need to see it and you need to tweak it. And don't just think Kristen did it. Stephen King did it. This person did it, that it works for them. You have to find your writing mojo that Mm. works really well for you and how you accomplish your goal as a writer but be willing to try new things be willing to do world building be willing to do journaling i will say this one thing that i think is very very important is if you're not willing to if you're writing a series of any kind and you're not willing to at least go back and reread what you just wrote Mm to do it you're doing your readers a disservice so whether it's a world building book like Vanessa does whether it's taking really really accurate notes and kind of plotting and going through that whole thing remember that because your readers are relying on you to continue whatever magic you had in whatever book they're due in whether it's one three four four hundred and seventeen they're relying on you to do that Mm -hmm. and if you don't actually put as much care into it as you should it's kind of shitty to them Well, and they'll know. I mean, I remember reading books. There was a series. So like, I'm super into horses. So there was a series called Thoroughbred that was like big in like the nineties. And I remember there was like something in one of the first books and by like book 15, something had happened to one of those characters. And I was like, in the first book, she said that had never happened before. And it was like a flashback. And I like went back and like got my first book because I'm also kind of a dick and I had to like prove this author wrong that I knew that she was lying. And so I like read the passage in the first book and I was like, here, right here, she specifically says 
she had never done this thing before. And then now in this flashback book, she had done it. So it's that stuff. And that's kind of even where like, you know, why I give these talks on the firearms and stuff is because most, like some of your readers aren't going to know, but the ones who do, you're going to pull them out of the story and then you're going to lose them. And it's not it, when you can simply make sure you don't do that, you right. know, by by writing something whatever max gladstone said something on our podcast the other day it has it'll come out by the time this one does but he literally said he learned that lesson like anybody who's a gun expert if you're not a gun expert don't write about guns but he said if you're going to use the word modified because if you say the word modified mm -hmm. what the gun experts will do is go try to figure out how to modify the firearm to do whatever it was that you just had it do the mm -hmm. other advice was we were talking to i forget who we were talking to so don't kill me when i say this but he mentioned that he puts a gun in every fucking room in his books like there's a gun in a drawer so that if he needs a gun there's a gun yeah. already in the drawer in every drawer in his entire like there's so many guns hilarious. in books because that way if he needs a gun there's a gun in the drawer mm -hmm. but it's modified so that if you're trying to take something that should be a revolver but it's somehow semi-automatic it is a re modified revolver <laughs> and we figure out how the crap sticks we modified it well that actually happened something similar where um as simple as my character was going to buy a horse, right? And I am not a 4-H animal person. I never grew up on a farm. I've ridden a horse before. And so I'm going in here writing this scene, very simple, didn't like go into detail. And Miss Valerie Willis, that we all three know and love, and she goes, that would never happen. You would look at, she would literally be like, they would be looking for this feature, this feature, this feature. And then one scene I had where the horse got spooked and I wrote that the, the character wrapped the reins around their hand to like pull it. And she's like, that would never happen. Cause, and you're shaking your head, Kristen, because you know what would have happened. The horse would drag that person like off if, you know, if it, it went off and just charged away. So it's good to know every little thing you mm -hmm. should not assume that does not require, you know, it doesn't require research because more than likely mm -hmm. it does. And at this day and age, I mean, I feel like, so I'm, I'm not going to name the book, but there is this very, very popular book out right now that I read and they get so ungodly much of forensic science wrong to the point that like, I made sure that I just Googled the most simple like search criteria, like they bring up DNA in a year that DNA didn't even exist. Um, like DNA testing wasn't even a thing. Um, they brought up like fiber comparisons when that's not even how it's done. So it was stuff that like, I was like, what year did DNA exit? You know, and it's like the first thing that pops up is the right answer. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. So then, cause then at that point, now I didn't trust her for anything, you know? And then she like set a date that this like trial had started. And so I Googled the date and it's like a Thursday. And I'm like, who starts a trial on a Thursday? You start jury selection on a Monday. Like it, it was stuff that then I didn't trust anything that this person said, you know, even though there were things that I had no experience on, I'm now just assuming that you're making all this up, you know, yet speaking with a level of authority. So that's kind of where, 
you know, and I always, like I said, so I always do, um, at the beginning of all of my stuff, like I try to do a timeline. Um, and then I always write down like what research I have and what research I have to do. So like this book that I have coming out. So I like research, like what are different names of frontal lobe brain tumors? Like what percentage of kids get it? What percentage of these? What are the treatment centers? Like where would this person have to go if they live in Orlando? Like all of this stuff that unless you're doing straight up fantasy, but even some of that has to be rooted in believability, you know, that it, there, there is this level of responsibility that, like I said, probably 80% of your readers not going to know a particular street name or a particular something. But if you're going to use a city, chances are somebody who's reading your book lives there. <laughs> well, not only that, we're in an age of the internet where they will fucking call you out. It's not like you yeah. get a letter in the mail where somebody's yelling at you about something. Mm -hmm. They will call you out in a public forum for not taking the time and if you mm -hmm. want to write about it, and that's why we're going to talk after this about some of the forensic stuff, because I've, I actually have reached out and talked to some people at the FBI. I'm writing a serial killer book, right? Okay. And there are some very interesting things about the crime scene, not the plot, not any of that stuff, right? But the actual crime scene, because that will throw people out. There's so much true crime stuff on the internet on how yeah. DNA works and how, like, how long does it take? And one of the things, and there's a theme in my book is, how long does it legitimately take? And at what point do the the police go, you know, we can rush this situation mm -hmm. because it, it's okay if it's one thing and we got to look into it. But when there's three people killed in the same way, they're probably going to escalate that shit a little bit to get it done quicker, right? Because it's mm -hmm. continuing. But I think taking the time and finding people like, mm -hmm. like yourself, finding people who know what they're talking about and listening to what they have to say makes all the difference in the world. Research, research, research. Yeah. You want to do high fantasy? Consistency in your high fantasy. Your magic has to work the same way unless you have a really good way you explain why it would work differently for A person than B person. But you still have to be consistent because like you said, you read book 15 or whatever and they brought up something. A lot of readers are like that where they'll go, what, mm -hmm. what, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> I, I write epic fantasy and just because for the most part you're making up stuff is not an excuse not to do research. Mm -hmm. You probably just have to do just as much research as someone writing something in the real world because you have to know how something works in our world to know what rules you can bend mm -hmm. to make it new in your world but that's not going to throw the reader off. Like yeah. uh, the discovery of witches uh, which is a, you know, uh, an adult romance. The author is a professor and is a wine enthusiast and is knows genetics and things like that and uses all that knowledge to create her vampires, her witches and her uh, demons, like how they're, how they work. And it's just little, little details really not only give a, a, a what is it, a, makes people believe it but the ones who don't yeah. know much about it there's something in their head that says I may not know a lot about this but it feels like that sounds like the right answer and yeah. you feel like you can sink into the story better well and I feel like and this is something that I've heard more in like the horse world but I think it applies to writers also is that 
when someone is skilled, you don't see what they are doing. So like when you see somebody who's like a professional that like knows how to ride a horse, it looks like they're not doing anything and Mm -hmm. that's the skill. And I feel like it's kind of similar with authors that like a skillful author, you don't notice that you're reading. Like that's the skill. Like at the second that something like pulls you out of that story is I think where you get those like stumbles of like, you know, and whatever it happens, all of us do it where you write chunky dialogue or something like that. Everybody's not perfect. But to me that like pure magic of when I read something, it's that I forget that I'm reading. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah. that's what I strive for. Like, I want someone to forget that this is a book they're reading. <laughs> and, and, and also like, don't be afraid to like do a first draft without research. You just need to make, I like for me, cause sometimes I'm just too hell bent to go deep diving into a story or B, I don't know what research I'm going to need when I start it. So I go through my draft and then I'll make comment bubbles and mm. I'll put like research PTSD. And I had a character who suffers PTSD and I looked up and I did research on like symptoms, how someone could potentially overcome certain things. And then I go back to the scene and be like, okay, uh, they need to experience fast heart beating or like whatever the symptoms are and weave it into the story after you know because then you know you don't want to get stuck in like a research rabbit hole where you're like you research 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 and then you never write or you know or just the you know you don't ever write anything because you're not sure what you need to research Mm -hmm. so it's one of those things where you know don't forget about it in the editing process yeah and I'm someone who can like easily get lost on the internet um, where I'm like researching something and then all of a sudden I'm watching like puppy videos. Like, I don't even know how I got here. <laughs> kind of thing. So I also do, and just, you know, for any writers out there, if they find this helpful, um, cause there's a lot and, and I appreciate you saying that Vanessa, like there's a lot of stuff where like, it doesn't matter in that moment. Like it doesn't matter what the symptoms of PTSD are in that moment. You can still get to the end of the chapter. Mm -hmm. So I, and the comment bubbles are awesome. I usually put stuff in brackets. Mm -hmm. So I'll put like a bracket that says like, find out how long it takes to get from point A to point B. Like it doesn't matter in that moment. And I know if I, just like how I don't want to pull a reader out of my story, I don't want to pull myself out of it like and go google that um i'll do it too like i said since i i have all my plots and i know what i'm gonna do i'm not as um it's not as necessary for me to finish chapter 24 before i write chapter 25 because i already know what's going to happen so if like 24 is not really working i'll literally put brackets that say like this is terrible come back and fix it (laughs) and then Once I've like written my whole first draft, I go back and just do a search find of brackets and I'll like write everything down that I have to research and like go do that. But yeah, it's, I um, went to a talk of Rick Yancey who wrote on the fifth wave series, a couple other books too. Um, But someone at this talk that he had given asked him and it's really stayed with me, you know, what like, what do you do when you deal with writer's block? Which I feel like is like such a great question um, just because something can always help somebody. And he said that he didn't think that writer's block was real, that it's when you're trying to do two things at once, you're trying to create and destroy at the same time. He's like, you're talking yourself out of an idea. And it like blew my mind. 
I agree with you a thousand percent. I don't think writer's yeah. block exists. It's either the story, the, like I think you can run into a roadblock where yeah. the story's not flowing for you anymore. You, I totally, the Crete and Destroy, I think there are certain symptoms and you're trying to pass through this where you need to just divert. Like I think mm -hmm. people should generally have more than one project going at a time so that if you get stuck on a given course, you can divert to go write something else and come back. If you have that or realize if you're stuck, your readers are going to be stuck. So fucking yeah. check whatever section it is and move on to the next part or of it. To the next chapter. But like, it just, it stayed with me so much. Cause I'm like, yes, it's that you're talking yourself out of the idea. Like you're at a point where I feel like everybody reaches a point of their story where they're like, why in God's name am I writing this? Like, it's not any good. I'm not going to where I'm going to get to. It's not going to be successful. Like you just have to like stop writing that chapter and write the next one. Like you're trying to destroy as you're making it. And like, that's what stopped. And that like really out of like writer's advice, that was one that like has really stayed with me that I'm like, yeah, you kind of sometimes have to just like abandon a part <laughs> and go forward. Because part of it too, like it might be chapter 24 might get cut when I edit. So like, is it even worth me spending the time? Because if it's not working when I'm writing it, chances are it's not going to work when I'm reading it. So like, it might not even work. Like I, it just, maybe I just power through. You yeah, know? I actually, I actually use that time where if I'm stuck, I will actually go back to my notes or my character Bible because my character Bible is like super extensive. Mm -hmm. And I go and organize my notes and I go up and I see, okay, where am I lacking? Because usually for me, writer's walk also comes from lack of knowing maybe some character's backstory. Mm -hmm. And I realize this, especially with when I, uh, with uh, talking to Erica um, not too long ago, where I realized that I needed to understand this event that happens 200 years prior to my story. And I didn't, I didn't fully answer all of the questions that needed to be answered. And sometimes the writer's block is you just didn't think something through and you have to go back and I'll go through notes, see, okay, is there something that I didn't like explain very well and and sometimes that sparks things for me to research because sometimes mm -hmm. research can give you great ideas and you know just kind of get your mind out of that and then come back with fresh eyes yeah and, and I and, love like I just yeah. love hearing everybody's process and how they're all different and like you know so for me you know so the fact that um Erica you're more of a pantser you know so I I tend to not get writer's block because I already know what I'm writing, but I get plotter's block. So like, I'll be going through my plot and be like, gosh, where am I at right now? And like, one of my things that I'm a big proponent and possibly why I type 80 words a minute is I go and take typing tests. So if I'm at a point where I'm like stuck in a story or something like that, I literally, I, I don't know the website, but if you just Google two minute typing tests, it's the first one that pops up. And there's something about mindlessly having your fingers fly over the keyboard that just can kind of get you unstuck sometimes. Um, where I'll just go and take a couple typing tests and because it's not your own words, you're just like typing what's on the screen. Um, and just that muscle memory of your fingers moving 
can sometimes just be as simple, you know, um, and I don't know, Vanessa, if you ever get this way too, but like, there are times where I'm on a run and my like mind wanders to something. I'm like, no, 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 no. And I like yeah. pull out my phone because I'm like, don't think about the book because I don't have anywhere to write it down. <laughs> yeah, no, well, my me- I have a memo, the memo app on my iPhone. Yes. Oh my gosh, because I'll think of snippets. I'm like, no, I need to get this down. Yeah. I'm like, I fixed it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, you know, also something I, I recently started doing is um, sometimes you need to stand up and walk away from your desk. And I'll turn on a podcast mm. for writing for whatever issue I'm dealing with. So if I'm where I'm like, I can't visualize this scene or like whatever, I'll go on one of my favorite uh, writing uh, podcasts and find an episode that talks about that and try to use a different method than whatever I was doing. Mm. Or, you know, because sometimes you just don't have enough experience in a particular, mm-hmm. uh, you know, writing tool and so you know one of my favorite ones is writing excuses which has like you know dan wells and brandon sanderson Mm -hmm. and they're really short episodes so it's like you can listen for 15 minutes and just get a little quick little and i'll go do dishes and i'll listen get my mind out of like the world and just listen and then i'll come back later and then just like start writing again and it gives me fresh ideas and that's a great way to kind of like still feel like I'm being productive with my writing, but not, you know, and I'm not sitting there just staring at a screen, you know, and blaming myself and hating myself like I normally do. No blaming and hating, but we have to wrap up this episode or I'll get yelled at by the producer. I know. We have literary briefs though, Vanessa. There's so much more to come still. Don't worry. This is so great. This has been so fun. We'll definitely have you back on. Can you tell us and the fans out there where to find you? Not your actual address. And I hate that I have to say that, but that happened one time. So please don't tell people where to legitimately find you, but where to cyber stalk you. Um, so I'm pretty much everywhere. Um, so my Twitter is just at Kristen Durfee. Um, and then also um, kristendurfee.com. So you can find all my books on there. Um, you can sign up for my newsletter which I am intermittently good about. So I swear I'm not going to spam you because half the time I forget to send it out. So you don't have to worry that you're going to get a ton of emails from me. (laughs) Um, I do that like quarterly. Um, And then of course, you know, Amazon and and all of those places. Um, But yeah, probably Twitter and um, Facebook also, Kristen Durfee author. Um, Yeah, I would love to connect. The book coming out title? It's called Mass, M-A-S-S. So it's kind of a play on both her Catholic background and then also the um, mass that is in her brain. Um, And so that is being released by Orange Blossom Publishing um, on March 23rd. Yay! Yay! Awesome. You have been wonderful, wonderful. I'm so glad you've been on the podcast with us. Thank you guys so much for having me. This was an absolute joy. I've had way too many drinks and now I have to try to go to it. So we'll see how that goes. (laughs) We still have literary briefs where you have to answer rapid fire questions. And yes, we timed it that way so that you're drunk by the time you do it. So (laughs) this has been Drinking with Authors. I've been Erica Lance. And I'm Vanessa Valiente. And we'll see you next time.